0: If you notice, we're gonna change a little bit. I'm gonna switch the text that we're gonna base the lesson on. Um, I know one or at least one of you might have a printed copy of the Steinsalz Tanya, um, but we'll, if you don't, I have it on the screen here. During the class, I'm gonna to stick to the actual translation of the Tanya and elaborate on that, but you're welcome if I'm boring you at any point to read some of the commentary that's on the page as well. And maybe it could lead into, if you see something interesting, you could add into the conversation and discussion as well. But before we begin today, I want to just give a little bit of a recap or the punch, the, the key ideas that are leading up to where we're starting off today that we discussed um, last week and what we're going to follow up on. So in we're right now still in the introductory piece to this section of the Tanya, where the first, the Alter Rebbe is making a very strong case on the importance of a strong sense of faith and why it's so essential in one's service in God. And that is his prelude, his introduction to what he's going to focus on, on understanding what belief in God means, which is the main focus of this section of the Tanya. So to do that, he begins quoting from Proverbs, from Mishlei, the verse where it says, "Raise, um, train the lad in accordance with his way. Even when he grows old, he will not turn from it. And what he's going to, at the end of this whole introduction, he's going to come back to is a re-evaluating why we are In everything in life, there's a mature and an amateur approach to things. Um, Even in something as basic as food and uh, probably every profession, you know, the laws of Shabbat, there's a lot of discussion about what's considered work. So if it's done by a professional or if it's done by an amateur, or if the amateur way of doing it, is it considered real work or only if the professional does it the right way, is it considered? Is that considered the work? So in education as well, in most of the things, there's a more amateur, the childish way of doing something. And then there's hopefully the way we mature in doing it as well. For example, we gave in a very basic um, example, doing the right thing as a child, usually you choose to do the right thing more because you got a candy. And hopefully when you're an adult, you're doing the right thing because you're mature enough to do the right thing. So you've matured. So why is in Proverbs, and this is the beginning opening thing question, why in Proverbs is it stressing that even when one goes up, he shall still maintain his amateur education? Seemingly, the all that we're teaching when one is still in his immature state is the tools to eventually develop a mature relationship. Why, when one is mature, is he still holding on to that amateur relationship that he had as a child? That's the opening question of this introduction. And to we'll come back to this at the end of this introduction, which I'm not even sure we'll get to today. But to do that, he introduces a key thing. And that is the importance of love and fear in service of God. And what we said, very simple, is that every action we do, if it's proactively, it's because of a certain love or passion towards that thing we're doing. It's either a subtle love or a very overt love, but love is the emotion which gets us to do things. Fear is the emotion which holds us back from doing things. With that said, if love and fear is so important in our service, because that's what motivates us, so how do we maintain or how do we develop a healthy love-fear relationship with God? So interestingly, the Torah itself tells us, and this is where we finish off, a commandment that we must love God, right? And this was the question which we had the cliffhanger from last week. That Tanya asks, how is it possible to tell someone, command someone to love something? Love is an emotion. Love is a feeling. Love is something which you either have, you either like something, you don't like something. There's a famous uh, Israeli line, and I'm sure there's a version of it in English as well, Tam vireach, en on taste and and enjoyment. And, uh, and you know, I guess the proper word would be like enjoyment. You don't argue. People have different things that they like and different things that they enjoy. So you don't argue over matters of taste and like. So when it comes to love, love is very, it can't, it's, it's kind of almost like when someone's having anxiety, tell them, don't be anxious, right? It does, usually does not work. So when you want someone to love something, it doesn't help by saying, hey, you must love this. So what does it mean when the Torah is giving us a commandment to love God or love his commandments and so on and so forth? So now we're ready for today's discussion. And we could really put aside all the introductory, just wanted to explain how we're getting here. The Tanya is now going to focus in what form of love is reasonable, or can be expected from a person to God? And once we do this, we can understand how perhaps there could be a commandment towards it, and that's going to lead back to the initial question about what's the amateur, and then what's the mature version of these this love that, and why we are still holding on, sort of, say, the amateur version even when we're adults. So, but the main focus right now, we're going to be addressing. Is what is a re- what are the forms of love which one can reasonably have to God, and hopefully that will better understand how the Torah can command us to
1: love God. All right, understood so far. Didn't still got it. Every... All right, perfect. So over here, as I mentioned,
0: we're using the Steinsaltz Tanya. They just recently translated are working on translating in English. If you want to ever get the book for yourself, it looks something like this. Uh, But we have the text on the screen as well. We're going to keep to the translation. So we're over here. However, the fact of the matter is that there are two types of love of God. So in general, and this is, uh, you know, kind of like I said before, but love is the motivator for us doing something. There's various stages in love. Right? There's a very overt love where someone is passionately in love with something and therefore is doing it. And then there's, you know, I like fish. So when, if there's fish on the table or I like sushi, you know, I'll eat it. It's not a, you know, a passionate love of love, like the way someone loves their spouse, right? So there's various forms of love. So over here as well, when we're saying there's two categories of love, we're not here talking about of intensity of loves. Within these categories, there's various multiple faceted levels of love that can, this level be expressed. We're talking here about two distinct sources of where the love is coming from. What are those two sources? The first one, while, while we'll read the first line, may sound like it's the most common or most relatable love. This is actually the more harder to attain love. What is the first love? The first
1: love is the soul's innate pinning for its creator. We're built, and primarily, we're built a body and soul,
0: right? And life, our entire life, and what the Tanya really is, entire mission is trying to teach us how to build a healthy balance between body and soul. The soul, while it gives us life and is perhaps the force behind our intelligence and our personality or whatnot, it's expressed through the body, right? Let's put it this way. If you have a light bulb, which is pure, clean, white, crisp, right? And then you put a big, heavy blue glass over the bulb, you're never going to see the crisp white light. You're always going to see a filtered blue light coming out of the glass. Fair? So the soul as well, while it itself is pristine and godly, its mode of expression, it's put in a heavy blue glass. It's put within the body. The body's understanding, the body as a mundane being, is very much in tune with its survival, its material needs. And therefore, while the soul may be more in tune with
1: spirituality... It's put in a body which the body is more in tune with the physical. If one has the ability to pierce through all the levels of the body
0: and only allow the soul to be talking within, then what will he feel is only positive feelings towards his creator. Because the soul is a part of God. It's a spiritual entity. So for it, what excites the soul at its core is godliness is spirituality. So if one is able to put all his physical and material existence to aside and solely be have his soul expressive, then
1: he will be a very passionate lover of God. As he'll continue to explain over here, Kasher,
0: when the rational soul prevails over the physical body. Subjugating and subduing it, meaning that the body itself is not the primary expressor within the relationship between the body and soul. The soul is the predominant voice within the body. Then it will be aroused and set ablaze with a flame that rises on its own. The soul will then exalt and rejoice in God its maker, delighting in God with wondrous bliss the passion, enthusiasm that will be emanating from such an individual to God will be unbridled, will be immense. Because this is not a love which is necessarily developed. It's at his core. It's the core of who we are. And that core is being expressive. And that core is a part of God himself. So it's like, it's literally one is able to feel God's presence oozing through his veins and that that's the real source of life that's within his blood and he's in tune with that if someone's in tune with that then they will just be one mode of expression
1: of love for god and in service of god as we're describing this you may be sounding like hey this sounds awesome how come not
0: too many people are in tune with themselves and the reason for that is because those who merit this level, as the Tanya goes on, those who merit achieving the level of this great love are the ones who are called tzaddikim, righteous. As it is written, rejoice the Lord, you righteous ones. However, not every person merits this, since attaining this level demands refinement of the physical body to an extreme degree. I think I may have mentioned this before. In Tanya, when we refer to tzaddik, referring to a person which is on a another plane within the inner struggle within with between his body and soul most people as the will address in a second the material world their body is the predominant voice within and we struggle to constantly we're battling to allow our soul to have dictate what we should be doing we're constantly having inner struggle and hopefully we, May not win every battle, but hopefully we win the war. We win the we win the war of our life, in which we've made enough. We've we allowed our soul to express itself, or we made the right decisions and had gone to mind as you know as often as possible. The tzadik tzod, the over here, what we're saying, while most people their body is the predominant force, so over here the tzadik their soul is the predominant force. So their struggle in this world is a very different struggle. Their struggle is not about how is God present. It's how can I help people see that God is present? How can I inspire others to see how God is visual? And this is why um, probably the most common time where we've seen individuals like this is the many stories of the Hasidic rabbis or especially in our in with Chabad, we had the Rebbe the Rebbe the, the of Chabad were people which were on a whole nother level of godliness. And for them, God, there wasn't a doubt or question about what was the truth of this world, or what was God, or if, if there was a God, they felt it in their veins. And therefore, when you came in their presence, you were inspired by that as well. You felt the presence of something greater than just the material. So while it seems the most natural, and it is the most powerful love, it's not a love which your average person has. And the question is, why is only a select few given this love? Why isn't everyone given this love? Very simple. If all of us, by default, were in tune with our core, the essence of God, the freedom of choice concept would probably not be very practical anymore. If we're all very in tune with God as our reality, then
1: the struggle of choice between good and bad won't be much of a struggle anymore. And therefore, by default, God is not necessarily the overt reality that we
0: come in our consciousness. So for your average person, it's not a defect that we have that we don't aren't naturally in tune with our core. That's the, you know, that's the normal system set in place when God created the world is that mankind by default shouldn't be, the, you know, naturally in tune with their core. He wants us to build that up. He wants us to make decisions. He wants us to discover God through our freedom of choice. So there are a few glitches in the system of people which are actually in tune with their natural core by default. And there are usually people of, there to inspire
1: and help us, um, guide us along that route. Now, people which are of this sort, well, again...
0: So there's part of this too, is people to, that, are, that are maintain this, are in tune with this level of spirituality, they'll usually be very, very refined people because if godliness is their predominant view, then the materialism is not going to be as exciting. So when they see, uh, you know, a nice babka cake, they're not as, you know, it's not going to excite them the same way it probably might excite myself. So they're not constantly pursuing materialism. They will be engaged in the world as needed. They need to stay alive and afloat, but it's going to be as needed, not as you know something, a passion project. And as well, the, it also demands much Torah study and good deeds to merit a supernal neshama level. So, which is beyond, I'm going to uh, just ignore these terms. It's not relevant for the discussion. When we have another class, we'll get into the different levels of the soul. Um, as stated in the Raius Kathmo, which is a famous book on Kabbalah. So in order for a person as well, the person who is in tune with God at his core understands as well that God is not something, is something that's far beyond the material. And therefore he's going to want to be engaged to constantly connect in whatever way possible to God. And the, only, the, most, the ultimate way to connect with God is by doing what God says, because that's the ultimate way we know we're having a real connection with God. So usually someone who is in t- has this natural love for God is in tune with his core essence. He is going to be usually not make ma- materialism is not going to be something that speaks to him. And he's going to constantly want to engage every moment of his day in the study of Torah
1: or the performance of mitzvot. So that's the first love. Okay oh, is that we clear on that? All right. Then there's the second type of love. And
0: this is a love which every person can attain. And I want to sure. And I want to preface like I said before, not necessarily everybody by working on this love will will attain the same level
1: of intensity. An expression of this love. However, every person can and is able to create a certain level
0: of love with this method. And what is this method? The second level of love, which is attainable for everyone, is not one that we just you know by is not one by tapping into our inner core, but it's rather from, When he thoroughly contemplates in the depths of his heart matters that arouse love for God through work. If a person works and meditates, learns about God, and as we'll discuss, Matt contemplates in the depths of his heart, really works on, you know, understanding and working through education. Then you can develop a love that and that love which one can develop through study and meditation that's something everybody can attain to a certain degree. And like I said, people do may attain different modes of expression of this love, but this love is something which is can be expected from everybody to a degree. A work that a love that is developed, and we he uses the term here thoroughly contemplates the depths of the heart because it, it's imp- if one wants to develop emotions from a study it's not enough to just learn or listen you know if you listen to a podcast that may be very inspiring but it won't really change your emotions of something unless you really really contemplate on it really take a moment to take it in in a serious manner otherwise it'll be a great emotional feeling you'll feel great about it until as long as that Inspiration, you know, the adrenaline from that podcast or speech lasts, and then you'll be back to your usually your good self. If if we want our studying to really impact us, we need
1: to take a moment to really, you know, put our mind to that thought. So, over here, the second love, one which one develops. That is possible to be achieved in the heart of every Jew. And in this itself, there's two formal
0: ways. Now, I want to preface over here. There's many different modes of service that one can have with God or how one can be tuned spiritually. Many religions, especially outside of Judaism. So many religions, especially... Especially, there are some religions outside of Judaism, especially, that stress if one wants to attain a spiritual status, it's done through isolation or abstination. If you abstain from the physical realm, then you can be a spiritual person. A real spiritual person doesn't marry, doesn't engage in the pleasures of this world, they're Abstract and subdued, they're disconnected from this world within Judaism itself. There are various groups that believe not necessarily in abstaining, but believe in isolation. You know, if we want to be inspired, live a godly life, we need to create a little bubble that only we have full control of what comes in, what comes out, and that's how you develop a spiritual lifestyle. There's also a concept of people fasting or abstaining, not abstaining entirely, not abstaining in a way that, you know, you're not connected to the world at all. But by depriving yourself from certain things, the more you, yeah, when you deprive yourself from certain things, that enables you to have a lot more of an appreciation for the spiritual, right? In Tanya, as we'll see over here, the meditations, there's going to be two different meditations that the Tanya here, he, again, this is all introductory. And it'll even mention as explained elsewhere. The Tanya elaborates on these meditations. Um, so there are two meditations that the altareb is going to, The Tanya is going to mention over here. He elaborates it in a much more detail elsewhere, but you get the gist of the direction of the meditation. All right, and the gist of the meditations, as you'll see, is not going to be about downplaying materialism. You know, there's a famous story of one of the Chabad Rebis, The fifth, the the, the uh, fourth Chabad Rebbe had two sons. The older son was known as the Raza, Reb Zalmanara, and the younger son would later become the fifth. Would be the fifth Chabad Rebbe, the Rebbe Rashab, Reb Shalom Dober. And they were once playing in the yard, and apparently it seemed that the younger son, the Rebbe Rashab, was also a little taller than his older brother. And there was a ditch, and Reb Zalman Aaron pushed his brother in the ditch, and then he said, "Look, I'm taller than you. All right, like normal kids that play." Kind of story. The father saw this, you know, this exchange go on. The fourth Chabad Rebbe, the Rebbe Ma'rash. And he called in his children and used it as an educational opportunity. And he told them that when you want to be taller than someone, you don't do it by pushing down. But if you want to be taller, stand up on a chair, raise yourself up. With over here as well, when it comes to obtaining and living a more spiritually inspired life, in the meditations over here, Tanya is not going to take an approach. And this is a very crucial. Theology that the Hasidists, Chabad Hasidis wanted to introduce is your growth should not come on the expense of destruction or hurting somewhere else, but should rather be something from uplifting yourself. If we can be in a he- in, in a healthy place, then where we see the world not as a or materialism, not as something which is a um you know a negative force in our life but it can actually be part of it's all a part of god and we see the world how it has everything unites and everything in our life is all there as part of our experience to lift us up then we can take every moment we could even take things which overtly would we many people would see as a contradiction to spiritual growth and include it in our spiritual growth so the attitude that we're going to, Tanya takes, and he's going to lay out over here, is going to be that of realizing that at the core, there's something special about my life and where I am. The first thing, and which is a more
1: general approach, is the fact that in general, that God is literally our life. Right? God is the creator of the world. Um, if there's anything a person likes, I would fair to say a person loves himself. We can debate whether they like other people, but a person usually, a healthy person, usually loves themselves. And th- again we're going
0: to be discussing this here he's bringing very much kind of like the uh the highlights of the meditation he's not getting into many details over here but god is the creator of this world um we we constantly and as we know in the world we live in there's always something that preceded something else if you have something what did it come from right so in Judaism, we belief of God is, is that eventually at some point there's an entity that exists before everything else, and that is God. So everything that came after is something that God enabled to be. And unlike, and this will be discussed in great length afterwards, I don't want to get, you know, digress over here in length, but God is the source of all living things. And if we love ourselves. Then we have to love what we are and what makes us be, which is God. So, in the same way that a person loves his soul and life, so too he will love God. Because if you strip the layers, if you undo the layers, what is the life? What is our life force? It's God. God is our life force. What is this? What's empowering our soul? It's its godly entity, it's the God that's within the soul. And it's the same thing with everything in this world. If we unpack everything, we realize that God is at the core of all existence. So if we love ourselves, or, and if you love the pizza you just ate, you can love what's at the core of it all, which is God. And when he contemplates and recognizes that God is literally his true soul and life, that the ultimate real life force in his life, the ultimate truth in his life is God. So just as he loves himself,
1: it's kind of like your self-love is an amateur self-love. A more mature self-love is a love for God. Because at your core, who are you? You are an expression of God. You are a part of God. So, and it's written in the
0: Zohar, regarding the verse in Isaiah, with my soul I desired you. Which means, in other form, that understanding what my soul is, what is the source of my life that results in me desiring you? Because I realize that my soul, my true entity is God. So this is the first more general, and I'm very much like trying to keep to the general idea. I don't want to get too in detail because that's going to be a big focus of this section of the Tanya in a bit, is understanding if my true, at my core, I am God then I understand, then I, all of a sudden, I'm going to love God just as I love myself. So that's the first general mode of meditation that one can develop and to build love, to build feelings and desires to be in service of God
1: or to be, you know, to love God. And then there's the more detailed one. And that is a meditation on
0: basically, real, if one really underst- meditates, takes the moment to think about who God is or what God is, right? And then has the understanding that God, which is, you know, all the way beyond, there, you know, there's no level or place that you could put God. He's so much greater than anything that I may be aware of. And then realizing that this God is the one that took the time to make me be and make sure that I have food on the table and so on and so forth. It brings a whole, a very big sense of humility and love for a person that just like if a celebrity would walk in the room and do something for us, we would be in awe and amazement. If we could translate that same awe and amazement to the fact that God cares for us, we would also be in awe and love of God. So this is a more detailed meditation. So as I'll um, as express over here, and whether the contemplation is specific, where he understands and considers the greatness of the King of Kings, the Holy One, blessed be he in detail. According to the capacity of his intellect, and even that which is beyond his intellect. So in the last meditation, we we're very much focusing on my life and understanding this core sense of my life. Over here, the meditation is challenging us beyond. For example, anytime one, you know, the, the famous statement, "When you, the more you study, the more you realize you don't know, correct? So over here with the study of God, the more one contemplates in God, the more we realize that God is something that's beyond our ability to understand. Now, there's a very, again, there's a more, Mature and amateur way of having that on meditation. But the more one studies and contemplates creation and godliness, the greater the awe of how great God is, both in how much we can understand God and how much God is beyond our ability to comprehend. Right? So the more one develops that and realizes to the great, to the extent of his capacity how much God can be understood and how much God is beyond our understanding. After coming from that perspective of a clear or a great understand or or a mature, more mature understanding of God, then subsequently he will contemplate God's great wonders and love for us. How he descended to Egypt, the land of impurity, to extract our souls from the iron crucible, which is the, Sitra Achra, literally the other side referred to the forces of
1: impurity and God saved us to bring us close to him and bind us to his very name the he, and he and his name are one so I uh, will elaborate this on a little bit in just a second but I want to explain what's going on over here if you look in the Torah with the Let's take the Ten Commandments, for example. When God is
0: introducing himself in the first commandment that we should believe in God. God doesn't say, I am God who created the heavens and the earth. He says, I am God who took you out of Egypt. And constantly throughout the Torah, God's way of, in, you know, reaffirming the fact that you should want to have a relationship with him is the fact that he took us out of Egypt constantly time and time again. And in many areas in Hasidus, this question is discussed, what is the relevance, what is the greatness of the fact that God took us out of Egypt? Greater than the creation of the world. Seemingly, the creation of the world is a lot more impactful or, you know, mind-blowing than the fact that God took us out of Egypt. And the answer for this is the fundamental importance in Jewish belief. There's belief in God, and then there's belief in the relevance of God. Belief in God would be God created the heavens and the earth. There's a God. He created heavens and the earth. But does that creator have any impact or relationship on our day-to-day life? Not necessarily. Paganism, at its core, believes in a creator God, but then believes that there's many gods which have taken control since. God is so great, he created the world. He's too great to be involved in creation itself. In Judaism a fundamental part of our belief is the fact that God the God that created the world that is a beyond creation is the same God which gets involved to pick us up when we're in the rut. And that's the significance of the statement I am God who took you out of Egypt. Me God myself in his great glory is the one who was there to take you out of the slums of Egypt. When you were in your worst place spiritually, physically, I was there to pull you out from there.
1: And that's the God that we believe in and that we we relate to. So when one can understand and realize that
0: this is something which has challenged many belief systems, the fact that they don't include it in their belief system. But in Judaism, we very much, it's part of our belief. And if that's our belief if we understand the ramifications of that, that's a very powerful meditation to contemplate that that is he elevated us he God himself the god which is pre-predated creation elevated us from the ultimate uh, degradation and impurity to the ultimate holiness and to his greatness which has no bonds or end he gives us the opportunity he himself is ready to pull us out from our ruts which is egypt egypt is a parable also for any rut or messy situation one finds in. he's there to give us the opportunity to take us from those ruts and put us in a place of greatness and holiness. And he did that by giving us the Torah, giving us the commandments, and so on and so forth. And so then as I, then as waterfall water reflects a face to the face, love will be aroused. And the heart of anyone who considers and contemplates the subject in the depths of his heart, so that he will love God with an intense love and cleave to him with the heart and soul. As explained elsewhere in great length, so this is where I mention um, this section of the Tanya. The Alter Rebbe had initially intended to be the first part of the Tanya, because this is discussed actually in Lakute Amarim, which is the first section of the Tanya. He um, disc he discusses these meditations in great length. But let's revisit the, these meditations a second. There's a famous for, quote in Proverbs which says, "Water reflects a face to the face." When it comes to love, we're very much like a smile. When you smile, usually you get a smile reciprocates back. Love is contagious. So when you love is extended, usually love is reciprocated. So when it comes to God, when we realize and understand and give give ourselves the ability to understand the great kindness and love God shows us, that will usually arouse within ourselves as well, the feelings of love and positive emotions towards God as well. So over here, This love over here that we're talking about is one which one can build on. There's, I want to elaborate a little bit on my introduction that I said over here, talking here about the reflection of how love is reciprocal and so on and so forth. When it comes to discovering
1: godliness within, um, you know, within ourselves and the approach that the Tanya takes, Many
0: Everyone has different journeys. And, you know, some people can be, um, you know, some people may not have any specific feelings about God, per se, personally. Some feelings may have negative. Some people have positive. But the way we grow to develop, we, there's various different choices. And this is where I mentioned before. And I, I thought there are two parables which would be great, which are pretty relatable to today's, uh, today's world. One is, unfortunately, we live in a world where there's a lot of hate and hatred. And as Jewish people, we're not, uh, we have not been immune to, the, to hatred throughout the years. And unfortunately, there's been anti-Semitism for, you know, for years, and there's still anti-Semitism today. The way to change people's opinions or someone who has negative feelings, there's one way is shouting at them and telling them that they're doing the wrong thing. Right? or tell them that you're a hater, you're an anti-Semite. Or there's what we try to do very common is when someone says statements about the Holocaust or about Jews, we'd say, hey, why don't you come? Let me show you the Holocaust Museum. Let me come introduce you to some Jewish people. Let me come and educate you about what Judaism is. And over here, we're not, by not attacking the negative traits, but by showing them a positive experience, That's probably the most conducive way to get someone into a healthier space. You know, there's so many people, if you ever listen to stories of people that were part of gangs which were very hate-related or that would have all types of flags waving, you know, usually they they weren't shown proper empathy from people throughout their life. And therefore, they found a culture which was welcoming and they were able to express all their feelings through hatred. And when they finally showed empathy from people they didn't expect can show it, it was life-changing for them, right? So over here, too, when we may not have a healthy perspective or relationship with God, the way Tanya wants us to develop that relationship, or let's say even with life, we were saying before where things may seem antagonistic, the material world may seem antagonistic to spirituality, if we're able to better relate and understand the world in a way of a more positive light that changes our perspective to have healthier feelings with everything. Um, You know, it's like this as well. I don't know how well it's incorporated all within the American judicial system, but I believe in Sweden or Singapore, I believe it was Sweden, they have, they're very into when uh, someone gets arrested or, you know, someone is in prison for an act of violence or so on and so forth to do family restitution. Where the criminal meets the family of the person of the of the person that they did something toward that you know whatever it was that they did a crime against, so that the person understands the effect that his actions had, one of the worst parts about being in prison is that you're detached from the world, so you someone may have done something wrong, and then they don't really. They they under they feel the repercussions of being in prison, but they don't necessarily see or understand the repercussions that their actions had on the people, the lives they impacted. And many times when that happens, a person is understood and is, you know, confronted with the impact of their actions. That is a very strong enough of a motivator for a person not to do the same thing again. So when it comes to developing or changing our reality. Our goal over here in both of these meditations, if you're following, is not to discredit our current perspective on life. That's not, that's not the, game, the goal over here. Our goal is to educate ourselves on a deeper perspective, on another, you know, challenge ourselves to think a little deeper into our reality. And as a result, our perspective on everything will be changed. And we'll be able to engage on that in a healthier way um i think you know over here they bring a story which is very similar of a person who had done a sin and he thought he would come to the righteous person that the sadik would tell him to fast and this and do all types of things to have atonement and instead the sadik told him to study about god and the more he studied about how great god he became embarrassed of the actions that he performed so over here as well the, and, and this is a power, powerful thing that we can try to implement in our lives in many different ways, is finding instead of and sometimes it takes great creativity, but instead of attacking things, find ways to elevate the people around us. And when we do that, a lot of the things which are nagging us about those people, about ourselves, of ourselves. If there's something in our life which is nagging, perhaps we need to lift ourselves up to be in a better space. And we're in that better space, all of a sudden, those things which were bothering us before, won't be bothering us today so the same is with our relationship with god if we're finding ourselves up and having an unhealthy or not a positive relationship perhaps we need to find a way to implement ideas or create meditations that just lift us from our rut from our bad place so that we can have a more uplifting positive relationship um with that said i think we're yeah we're kind of hit our time but uh based off this the next week we'll go back the Tanya is going to explain based off understanding what love
1: is can be expected from everybody we can understand now how Torah can give a commandment to love God